That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Welcome to episode three of That Naturopathic Podcast. I think you're really going to like our episode today. So today we talked to naturopathic doctor, Dr. Yashar Hoshwashahi, but we're going to call him Dr. K. Well done, Kara. I can't say that. Uh, Dr. K is awesome because he helps us understand the neuroscience and the neurobiology of making changes. And anytime we're trying to make changes with our health, it's met with some difficulties and resistance. So breaking it down with Dr. K was awesome awesome because it gives you a bit of insight and understanding into making changes. Yeah, and I think the other other big thing that comes out of this episode is just understanding that there's a place for heart and spirit and meaning and purpose in medicine. And uh, Dr. K just exudes that and, and I, I love that about him and it's an important conversation. So it's a great episode if you're trying to make changes that are being met with some sort of resistance, which is everyone, including us. So tune in if you're uh, looking to get some insight into how to make the healthy choices more sustainable. Okay, thank you so much for joining us for episode three of That Naturopathic Podcast with Dr. K. And you'll understand while I come Dr. K when he says his name properly. Um, Dr. K, or Yashar, is a classmate of mine. He's a brain-based executive coach. He's a co-founder of MindShift Ninja. He's uh, the coolest business name ever, by the way. It is really cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of jealous of your name. Um, he's an instructor at Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and Health Psychology, and you'll see why. Uh, he's got a clinical practice in Newmarket. He's got a, a great smile. He's an all-around great guy, and we're just so pumped to have him on the show and throw down some wisdom in neuroscience and health psychology and the, and the like. So thank you so much. Yashar for joining us. Yeah, welcome uh, Dr. K. Thank you both so very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you too. Where should we start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of started having this perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it's a, it's an important subject matter and one that I think that whether you're a clinician, whether you're a parent, whether you're a, a, a boss, a manager, uh, a teacher, you're going to stumble across this because really at the end of the day, we may know stuff, but still our mindset may get in the way uh, to apply it. So really great topic matter. But for myself, uh, as, as, as been mentioned, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I'm a brain-based executive coach. Uh, I work primarily in clinic uh, under the umbrella of mental health. Um, but uh, really, I, I, I got into this almost by accident because my patients kept coming back with similar concerns. And my, my silly saying for this is that people don't come to me because they think candy is better than kale. They come to me because they don't know why they keep picking candy over kale. So, yeah. yeah, so no one has ever been impressed by my by my suggestion of having more vegetables or going to sleep, uh, you know, at an earlier hour. You know, no one's very impressed by that. So they really need to 
come in not to be given more knowledge, but to be in a space where they can generate more insights about themselves, about their patterning, about their connection, about their community, about their emotional regulation skills. And that's really, I see, the pathway to any change, whether it's the first step towards you know, putting down the candy bar or it's to creating a multi-million dollar business. At the end of the day, it's the mindset that's going to drive all our decisions. And if we are in a place where we can be clear on our intention, then we can start paying attention to the things that, you know, lift us and motivate us and bring us closer to, to the version of ourselves and the goals that, that we can accomplish by being that version of ourselves. Because change is hard. Like it's, it's easier to do whatever you're doing than it is to change, right? Absolutely. The brain is constantly mapping uh, our experiences. And so therefore, the more we do something, it builds uh, an automatic kind of pathway and, and it's a habit as we call it. And so uh, we're easily going to go down that path because it's the path of least resistance. So changing a habit, yeah, it takes effort. And that's the first piece of information that everyone must be very connected to. It's not about simple motivation or inspiration because we all are motivated or inspired at one point uh, it just, it, it, it goes away. So then we have to look at why it goes away. And then are we willing to have the courage, the vulnerability and, 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 and the grit required to do the things that are sometimes challenging. So cool. I just want to say that this is such a good follow-up to the previous talk that we did with Justin Gallant, which was uh, on iron and just having the energy. And we talked about having energy and motivation to make change. And so Justin sort of helped us with the biochemistry and yours is more like the psychological side of things, because if you don't have the motivation, it comes and goes, um, but or the energy, no change happens. And we're, we're all trying to make changes for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like I often tell my patients, um, you know, half of psychology or mindset, 50% of it is occurring below the neck. So it's, you know, explain. sorry, yeah. explain more. I love that. Yeah. So, well, look, I, I call it mind body performance, right? The mind and the body are a unit. What you do to the mind, you do to the body, what you do to the body, do to the mind. And at the end of the day, we are performing and, and that, and we can be performing out of fear or we can be, be performing out of excitement, joy, love, compassion, gratitude. But the, the information we feed ourselves through thoughts emotions and behaviors ultimately are the guidelines of how this mind-body unit performs. So what we eat is not just fuel, it's information. How we breathe is not just for survival, it's actually for processing the, the environment internally and externally. How we, how we um, connect with the people around us is not just for a fun time. There's a real physiological immunological and psychological benefit to having these connections. So this is not just sitting in a corner and saying, I'm better, I'm stronger, I can, and repeating affirmations. It's about integrating these pieces, these knowledge points uh, with, with insights into our day-to-day -day, uh, lives so that we have a mind-body connection that's strong. And it's, it's, it's uh, almost like a bank account. It's able to withstand um, more, more challenge if we are able to build a reserve, right? So if we all of a sudden have our car break down and we have 
you know, five dollars in the account, well, we're in the minus. But if we have a healthy bank account and our, uh, and our car breaks down, we have a little bit of wiggle room. Our body is the mm-hmm. same way. So when we put these pieces all together, we, we are able to have a stronger mindset as well. We're able to be more motivated and, and have more energy and more interest in, in the things that are happening around us. So you can't just separate mindset from body. You can't separate psychology from physiology. It's, it's hand in hand. And I, I love that you're hanging out in that kind of bi-directional place, right? Because I do find um, it, it can be a problem in medicine and health where we kind of sit in these little silos and, you know, you might have a great mental health practitioner who, um, you know, has great insight into the mind or you might have a great practitioner body worker or, you know, a naturopath who maybe looks more at physiological um, or body or symptoms Um but you really can't move forward if you're not understanding that bi-directional kind of push and pull and um, um, synergy that happens between, you know, that they're not separate things, that they're all integrated in a really awesome way. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is not just some sort of feel-good message. This is not a... Um, a, a type of mantra that only the naturopathic community is is preaching. You know, there's the biopsychosocial model that just mm-hmm. simply puts all of that bidirectionality into place. You have your biology, you have your psychology, and you have the, the social networks around you. And, <clears throat> you know, um, maybe even before all of this, you know, the, the father of Western medicine, uh, Hippocrates said it's more important to know what sort of person has a disease than to know what sort of disease a person has. So we need to understand the unit that is the human in all aspects before we start, you know, a list of supplements or a list of, of workouts. You know, we have to understand the person. There's another beautiful doctor that people can look up if they don't know him already, uh, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, that says trauma is not what happened to you, but what happened within you. So it is the lens in which we see the world around us. It is also the framework within our physiology that is influencing how we see the world around us as well. Mm-hmm. So let's take some of those, you know, ideas, um, you know, really, which you lay your foundation on. Um, maybe we, we can just help our listeners see how we, we would start to apply that, say, you know, in clinic with our patients or, or our patients who are struggling yeah, uh, Dave. Did you want to go? Maybe, maybe we can go over some scenarios. Okay, might... so me and Kara are trying to prepare for uh, talking with you, which is um, you know, going to be a challenge because uh, you're the neural man. So you can't outsmart the neuroscience guy. But um, the way we were sort of framing how this may look for some people is like the people who are thinking about making changes in their health, their life but they're not quite ready to make the step to uh, naturopathic medicine or, or something like what we do. I mean, what is, what is the resistance maybe holding some of these people back? Do you think in your experience? Yeah. Well, on a very fundamental level, I think it's important to understand that people don't often change because it takes courage and vulnerability. To act differently on some level is scary because it's new. So the brain will say, hold on there. We used to do it this way. How come you're changing the script? 
And the brain is not doing that because it wants you to fail in life. It's not doing that because it hates you. It's only doing that because the primary job of the brain is to keep you safe. And safety, right. yeah. And so safety is not, you know, the the person who's going to break into your house alone or the or the saber-toothed tiger, as, as, as it were. Safety is anything that is outside of what you expect to happen or that feels comfortable to you. Because we're, we're wired for fear, right? Yeah, it's the, it's the, again, primary organizing principle of the brain, as the neuroscientists like to call it. Yeah. So it's the first thing that we look for is, am I safe? Is this okay? And, and the brain will go from an avoid to an approach to an attach state. So in an avoidant state, it's, it's, we first have to do the first step, and that is, am I going to approach this subject matter? Am I going to approach this topic? You know, and, and that, that, is, that takes vulnerability, courage, and trust again right? The the hardest part is there is no guarantee in medicine or in life. So you may try something and it may not work. So now you spent emotional, spiritual, uh, social, or financial, physical kind of risk on in some level. And that equation needs to be really fully understood and, and accepted on some fundamental level. And so the reason I start there with a lot of people is because if it, this occurs for you, one, congratulations, you're human, and two, congratulations, you're actually trying to move towards your higher good or potential. So you're actually on the path as opposed to sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, and the brain's also, one of its jobs is to sort of save energy, is it not? Absolutely, and that's why it patterns, right? So we do certain things, and after even two or three times, the brain will start creating neural networks and then burying it in, in areas of the brain that are less uh, demanding, metabolically demanding, so that, again, it's not using precious resources to keep refiring those networks. It just kind of, again, it's automated, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you send, when someone sends you an email and you're on vacation and you have an automatic reply, that's much easier than every day, every hour, checking your email and keep writing to everyone, I'm away, I'm away, I'm away, right? We want to automate things and the brain is doing the same thing. I, I feel like uh, that must be a, a powerful insight when you explain that to your patients because I have a lot of patients who say to me, I don't know why I can't do it. I don't know why, like I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. So that must sound, that must be refreshing for your patients to, to hear the reason why there is that resistance to change. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, and the other piece that I marry on to the first piece is it's much easier to create a new neural pathway than it is to destroy an old one. So our focal point really matters. So instead of saying, I don't want to smoke anymore, or I don't want to eat that food anymore, tell me what you do want instead. Let's build our intention and attentional resources towards that because the brain is only responding to the directive. And so, so you may be messing up, but it's maybe because you're framing it in a way that's towards running away from a problem as opposed to towards a solution. That's really interesting. I mean, there's some uh, behavioral science on how we stick to um, – sort of bad decisions or like people who stay in bad relationships. I don't know if there's a correlate there with the neuroscience that it's easier to create something new than it is to destroy something. But I find that there might be some sort of like correlate there. Yeah. And a playoff that would probably be like on, on, on the surface habit building is about reaching a certain goal. Like I want to do something differently. So I'm not in that same relationship. Um, but, you know, fundamentally what these habits are, are about is about becoming 
someone. It's not necessarily the goal, but the version of you that you are becoming. It's about a reawakening or reconnecting or rebuilding a relationship with yourself. It's, it's, it's meant to be deeply personal and meaningful. Um, and, and, and therefore, it's worth the time and effort to kind of go down these neural networks or these pathways or these inside generation uh, moments in our lives to really recognize, like, sure, I want a goal to be different, but I actually am trying to become a stronger, more, more connected, more meaningful and purposeful version of myself. And again, what does that mean? That means you have to sit in a place of uncomfortable um, of feelings because it's different. It's, 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 bringing, it's bringing more questions initially up than answers. And so that uncertainty can be very uncomfortable for the brain. So, uh, so you've said the words, you know, it takes courage and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Do you use that? um, And then you've also talked about um, being disconnected and maybe looking to find more connection. Is that the tool in which you overcome the courage and vulnerability or just those were some really big uh, topics there. I'd I'd love to, for you to expand on some of those um, and just the connections between them. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, first of all, uh, let's start with disconnect. I, I believe disconnect can be an incredible blessing because if we pay attention, however we want to describe it, the brain, the soul, the spirit, the je ne sais quoi inside of me is saying, hold on, this isn't right for me right now. That alone is insanely powerful if we pay attention mm-hmm. Right. So there's that first mm-hmm. step. But how we how we change anything is through action and how we develop anything is through practice. So courage, confidence, you know, being authentic. All of these pieces are not mystic, uh, mystical elements in life. They can feel that way. But really what they are are practices. So just like going to the gym. If that muscle is weak, you must start with a five-pound dumbbell, not a 50 or 500-pound dumbbell, because you will be crushed and you will think less of yourself if you're able to even get off the ground. So when we set up these type of messages and and, and these tools, we must start where the individual is at. And that also requires, again, that vulnerability or the non-judgment. So I don't see any of these things as, uh, as, as... uh, mystical or or uh, non-tangible, intangible concepts. I see them as simply as practices that we start with one piece and we move forward and we commit a certain timeline. If I tell someone do something for the next three days, three weeks, three hours or three minutes, it's going to feel very different depending on what the, what the goal is and what the task is and where that individual um, is in their life and in their experience, right? But we it can. It sounds like they need a bit of a vision of that, something better, either past or in the future, how things may be. That's right. That's 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 absolutely it. If they have that, if they have that initial vision, and again, it doesn't have to be the 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 north star that we always talk about. That could be again incredibly powerful. But a vision of what can the next three minutes look like if we try something different. You know, oftentimes patients come in in a certain state and leave in a certain state. But nothing in their external world has changed. They haven't left the office. Right. 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 So that only can happen because we have the powerful tool of 
of, of thinking, of cognitive reframe, of changing the way we see a challenge and tapping into pieces within us that may be lying dormant, but they're still available to us. And that way it changes the way we see the world. And we have to then practice those tools. You're you're actually, for some reason, um, Newton's first law is coming to mind for me right now, <laughs> which um, I don't know if you remember back to physics, but it was, it's, it, and I probably am going to butcher this, but um, Newton's first law is, isn't it a body at rest stays at rest and a body in motion stays in motion unless acted on by an external force. It's completely not, that's not it. But when we apply that, um, that that's what your, your conversation so far is reminding me of is that, um, you know, you know, you need some sort of reframe or some something, um, some sort of action to kind of change the trajectory um, of where you are. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's, that's uh, very well put. And uh, give me, I'll give an example of, of someone I was working with on, on changing dietary um, requirements, needs and practices. And this person uh, reached out to me, you know, about two months into the endeavor. And he was doing incredibly well. So kudos to him for sticking to that. But what mm. he said to me was, for, for a long time, I've been trying to quit watching pornography. And I just couldn't. And in some ways, in his own words, I felt semi-addicted. Um, and I didn't know this about him, to be, to be completely honest and fair. Um, mm -hmm. But he said, but since I've started with the dietary changes, um, I've, I haven't watched any pornography. And the longest I've gone before that was one week. And this is something his, his you know, wife didn't know. And he obviously wanted to keep, keep private to himself. And it wasn't, it wasn't something he was at obviously extremely proud of either. So to your point, let's get moving on consistently uh, identifying goals that bring us to becoming that version of ourselves. And it's interesting. It's like a little bit of a magnet. It'll start pulling in other pieces. Because that is like me. That is the type of person that I am. And there's no moral judgment around that. It's just let's get more identified around who you want to be. And so that's, right. I, I would, I would agree with that, with that, uh, bringing Newton into the conversation. Agree, you agree with Newton? <laughs> agree with Newton. <laughs> and, and your take of his law more specifically. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what, and so what is that mental muscle he's flexing? Cause obviously he said, okay, I'm making decisions here with my diet that are congruent with this vision I have. And so, yeah, what, what was that as you, uh, use the analogy, like, um, like a little bit of a muscle flex, right? So how, how did that, um, it does change to get more change. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it starts with identity. He was the type of person who didn't eat that way. He was a type of person that yo-yo dieted. And so, um, we, we figure out, uh, uh, what that looks like. And then we tie in support, which in this case was his wife and actually, uh, you know, outside of myself, of course, but was his wife. And then they were so excited by doing these changes that they brought other family members on board. They brought their friends on board and it almost started their own little movement, you know, of let's just try this for, for three months. You know, that's what I'm saying. Again, let's frame it. Let's not say this the rest of your life. And you tell me in three months, again, in three days and three weeks, how do you feel? Right. And so what he flexed is identity. 
What he flexed is capability. What he flexed is commitment. What he flexed is consistency. What he flexed was, I am the type of person that can do something that was hard. And now it's starting to apply to other parts of me because he's awakening the energy, right? The commitment, all the things we just talked about, his physiology is changing. So he's no longer looking for a quick dopamine fix with uh, pornography because he's probably stabilizing neurochemistry through diet and lifestyle. So that's it's a huge change his environment too, right? Like I've <clears throat> just yes. read uh, actually only half of the book, uh, Willpower Doesn't Work. And it's all about, you know, like changing your environment for success. And if you include that family and friends in your environment, man, you're setting up for success. Yeah, big time, big time. Not only are you setting up for success, just like as far as getting the gold uh, accomplished, you're setting yourself up for success uh, as far as how you feel as you work through the goal which is really important. So absolutely. Yes. It was a, it was a major, major high five for him to get, get the, the team, if you will, on board for sure. Yeah. It's real transformation that you're talking about sustainable as opposed to like a 21 day online diet or whatever. Yeah. And again, the 21 day online diet can be a start, but it will, uh, what, what I think all of us are talking about right now is sustainable health. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so the yo-yo will work. It will have its ups and it will have its down by definition, but we're looking, we're looking for sustainability. And part of, uh, looking at sustainability again is knowing that you're human. So therefore you won't be perfect. You will have times and, 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 and moments in your life and in the day that you won't make the best decision. But if those become less and less of your, of your day, then again, we're winning. So what's the trajectory of, of, of this change versus the absolute truth in this one moment? Uh, because that could, that could look very different from moment to moment. I, I love that. And, and, and there's a lot of, um, there's a, a lot of lessons in that for us practitioners in particular, um, you know, because I, I'm sure your initial recommendations, you know, had that trajectory in mind of, Let's get this one small solid change and build on that. Is that part of your clinical practice? And is that, yeah, is that, is that a, a strategy you use with your patients? Yeah, I really appreciate this question um, because my, my first session has evolved over the last many years um, and definitely has become a little bit more uh, congruent with these ideas since I've, I started focusing in this area. And, and really, I'm, I'm interested in mindset. Uh, you know, I, I point blank very lovingly, but point blank, ask my patients, session one, why have they decided to put the energy, time, and resources towards this challenge? Like, mm -hmm. tell me why, you're, like, why are you paying me and why are you taking time away from your family and your life and everything else you could be doing to be here right now? And we, we dive into it, not just off one sentence, you know, we dive off into it and I say, okay, they give their answer because I want to feel healthier. I'm like, so what? What if you're healthier? Uh, because then I can be, uh, you know, more active with my family. Why do you care about your family? Like, I really want to know you. Tell me what you're about. Tell me why you're here and tell me why you're going to do the hard work. And I will love you through it. I will support you through it. And I will, you know, encourage you through it. But you have to get into that understanding. You have to get into that mindset that this is going to take effort. And we really have to understand why we want to take this effort on. And then after that, yeah, we can get into bowel movements and sleep and diet and movement and all that. But absolutely. First, let's identify who you are. Then we can take that one step towards it and, and, and become really um, 
focused on that and that part of it. So good. I have a, an engagement form that I, I do basically what you're talking about. And it's at the top, got a Nietzsche quote for, um, it says, for those who have a why, there is no how. You yes. Know, you, you got a why, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, again, what that really is saying, that that quote is really saying is that um, you're going to be faced with challenges. So get, get, get very clear on why you're willing to face those challenges. Mm-hmm. And the other side of struggle is growth on the other side of struggle is is purpose on the other side of struggle is passion and 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 we often use these words again like how do i find more motivation or passion or purpose get to work figure it out you know that's how you do it and like i'm sitting here 10 years into practice i'm still figuring out how totally yeah right like how i'm going to be a better practitioner i've created you know as you said uh, Mindshift Ninja, uh, co-founder of Mindshift Ninja, and 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 the reason why we created Mindshift Ninja is really to to focus on creating leaders in business and in life. And all of our coaching programs, all of our training programs, are designed to help master the mindset uh, needed to create more engaged, fulfilled, impactful workplaces, teams, or communities. So you're saying, well, what does that have to do with medicine? Everything, because the number one leading disability right now. Uh, is is mental health issues in workplaces. So my workplace is filled with people who on paper can get stuff done and are still really suffering. So uh, my sister, who's the other side of Mindshift Ninja, who's more in the project management and strategic planning side of it, we decided let's get ahead of this because she was seeing the same kind of uh, burnout rates and, and struggle, struggle rates, even though uh, businesses on paper may have had all the resources. So we, we're, we're blending this medicine and management together to create leadership. And how this ties in on all realms is I see everything through the idea of leadership. When people sit in front of me, whether as an executive coach or clinician or even as a, as a teacher, they're really saying, I'm struggling and I want to be better. That's all they're really saying. The details are varied, but they're like, I want to be better. Most fundamentally, that is becoming a stronger leader because you lead yourself, you influence others. You cannot continuously, sustainably, um, and positively influence others if you can't lead yourself. Right. So these are all tied in. We are we are we are all one in the same and everything we do in a health uh, way impacts everyone around us, not just ourselves. Uh, so absolutely. We have to be constantly hungry and, and, and interested in ourselves and not in a nar- narcissistic way, but in a way of how can we be better versions of ourselves so we can connect further and more completely to the people around us and so that we can do the good stuff we want to be doing. Yeah. So actually the other day, this is reminding me, Dave and I, uh, we debate sometimes, right? We fight. <laughs> we fight sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we, ha- we have, uh, d- yeah. Um, healthy debate. Healthy debate. <laughs> um, and it was based on a, um, a, like a PubMed journal article that you had forwarded me. And the title of the article was health has no intrinsic value. And I believe the gist of the article was, you know, uh, does health have intrinsic value or is health a tool to do the things that we want to do or strive to do um, in our lives? And so I'd love to hear your, (laughs) I'd love you to weigh in on, on our debate. (laughs) Yeah, I think the first place I would go with that is, again, semantics. It's about how our society frames everything in black and white picture. And mm-hmm. I think that's I think that can be destructive. So what I would say is health absolutely has an intrinsic and an, an extrinsic value. We, we 
we we need to honor the two because that's how we are whole right so i need to be feel good about myself the things i'm doing how i feel inside how my physiology rumbles and roars and then connect it to the external and um, there's a lot of people getting a lot of work done on the external who are very unsatisfied unhappy or disconnected on the inside right this is this is very like this is so incredibly common in our society and and then all these people who again have all this external success end up committing suicide or have substance abuse or have um uh you know broken up families uh have have uh, have lack of meaningful relationships so i think I'm going to call a little bit of BS on that title and say it's good, it. it's good clickbait, but uh, let's get softer with our messaging and get more complete with our messaging. And instead of putting but in that sentence, put an and and let's get to work. That's I love I that. I, I think um, it's, it's, it's an important question and, and I think it's an important debate because, you know, what our patients see are messaging of health, what healthy is, Right messaging of, you know, kale smoothies and, you know, you're back to your kale example. So you see messaging of what is health, what is healthy um, or what you, you know, those messages we're told, but I love that idea of, of seeing that intrinsic definition and, and defining that for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. We start there. Right. And, 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 and sometimes like someone will say, well, like, uh, I can do more for my child than I do for myself. I do more for my family than I do for myself. It's again, typical line we hear a lot. And that may be absolutely 100% crystallized in reality. Okay. But the question is, why? Why do you do more? Why do you care? And if we actually really dig, and, and this is, uh, you know, you're doing this for the people you love and you want to keep doing this, then there is some sort of feel good uh, you know, uh, momentary emotion within ourselves that we that we also receive, right? So you are motivated from the inside. You might have been lost um, connection with that, and or you might be taking too much of your schedule up with other people's ideas and demands, even though you want to support them. So there's a maybe a reshifting or balancing of of priorities and time. But there's always again a bi-directional, internal, external, up and down. Um, kind of uh, perspective we must take with this type of work or we're going to get very cookie cutter and we're going to lose the essence of this work. Doc, Doc, how do you balance the demands of being entrepreneur and a couple of businesses going on with being a dad who cares a lot? Like, how do you balance your life? <laughs> you want to ask me or you want to ask my wife? <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer. Let's get your wife on. <laughs> my wife on. Uh, so uh, again, complete transparency. I work my tail off to try to find a rhythm that works for, for me and my family. There are times where I have to be away from the family for hours, if not days. And and I try to set it up in advance as much as possible. I check in with my wife as 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 I I, well, I hope to check into my wife sufficiently enough so that she feels supported, not blindsided by these things. Um, I really honor the times I come home. I really do. Uh, some nights I'm working late in the clinic, so I don't get to put down my son. After a night or two of doing that, I like actually miss him dearly. So I really try to be involved in that. I. 
I tell my wife all the time, annoyingly so, that I want to sit on the couch with her and have like a conversation or have dinner with her or something, uh, as opposed to having the TV on at first. Even if it's for half an hour, 45 minutes, then we can veg out if we want. You know, I really, I just try to build these in. Uh, and it's selfish, I'll be honest with you, it's selfish. It gives me motivation, it gives me purpose, it gives me uh, a refueling that I need to dive back into the work I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, one of the lines I also uh, use a lot is my wife's shoulders are soggy from the nights I've cried on them, you know? So there's nothing wrong about saying, Shh, oop, I don't know if I can swear, but I will. Can I go for it? Okay. <laughs> Shit, this doesn't work. I feel like crap right now, or I'm scared. And, and, and yeah, so I get paid the big bucks, so to speak, right. To, to be the one who stands on stage or, or gets interviewed or sits in the clinic to do this, but I'm still human and I have to afford myself the ability and the time and the space to work through my version of rebuilding habits, reconstructing the ideas around who I am, who I am and who I want to be. I think that's the only sustainable way because anyone we've ever looked up to that has accomplished anything in life has been faced with a pile of shit who's hit that, you know, proverbial fan. So like, we just have to give ourselves that space, the grace to, to, to be that version of ourselves. So then we can step into the more powerful and purposeful version of ourselves as well. So it's not a one, one size fits all. I, um, uh, but for me, like very, very concretely, I need connection with my family. So I make time for it. I need to move my body and sweat and lift heavy things. So I make time for it and I need to breathe and, and, and meditate and visualize. So I make time for it. And that can be anywhere from, uh, two to 20 minutes to two hours. It doesn't matter. You know, just before I jumped on the call with you guys, I wanted to go to the gym this morning, but I had a couple of meetings and I couldn't. So I just started just literally jumping around and moving my body uh, before I got on the call just to wake myself back up, you know, so we can find ways to just to reconnect. But if I don't have a real understanding or an identity of who I want to be, then I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't get up and jump around or I'd I'd say, I doesn't, it's not really going to do anything for me, but because I've practiced it enough, I know it does. So it's an ongoing mission uh, and, and an ongoing checking in with myself and the people around me that I care most about to make sure that we're, we're on the right trajectory again, because we're never going to perfect the path. How do you suggest to your patients or, or work, you know, with your, you know, in your consulting or with your patients in helping them determine what those things are for them? Questions. I just ask questions. I become supremely interested uh, and, and I bring it down to fundamentals again. Why do they care? Why does it matter? Are they moving towards or away from as uh, towards a solution or away from a problem? Mm-hmm. And, and if I can give them, I, I often ask, I often ask, uh, really like, uh, simple questions that I feel like get to the root of things. You know, I'll say one of them is like, if I give you a pill and you have absolutely no fear, what would change in your life? The other question is, if I can give you a pill and you automatically would have 100% more self-compassion, what would change in your life? Those two alone really reveal what they're after. And it's all the other baloney stories or, in reality, trauma that has blocked that. But because they can answer that question and they often answer it in a very invigorated, enlightened, and excited way, even if it's just like a, a you know a ten second response, that means that's alive in them. It means that they're willing to be that version of themselves if they have enough support and resources to get there. Um, so I just ask a lot more questions than I do give answers. Um, the spark. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Like you tell me again, what is this about? Because I know after doing this work for over uh, about 10 years, just over 10 years now that I cannot work harder than my patients or my clients. I can't. And, and if there's a time where I'm working harder than them and they believe that's the solution, we both have failed. Mm. However, I can sure as heck be an acknowledgement machine. I can look for what's going well and I can feed it back to them. I can take their own words and give it back to them and present it in a less convoluted, detailed way and say, so what you're saying is this, if you had this, you would be happier. If you did this, it would be better. And if they say yes, it's like, okay, let's get to work back to the basics. What is one step, you know? And so it's constantly holding it up to that examination. And I think as doctors, we learn to give answers. And what's really helped me is, uh, the, you know, the training I've received in uh, the neuroscience of executive coaching has helped me really realize that my answers are less effective, uh, especially in the early onset. My questions are way more powerful. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Um, what, do you, what do you say to the people, because there's a spectrum of people who come to you with um, they have very little sort of vision of something better. And then there's others who may be overwhelmed because their vision is like 15 steps ahead of where they are. How do you manage those two different sort of situations in a similar way? Yeah, a lot of times, again, is going back to the what's the first step. Okay, so you're 15 steps ahead. Great, but you're, you, you know that you're 15 steps ahead, right? Any, any workout program, any business plan, any uh, relationship, you know, you, you go date someone and the first date you tell them that you're going to marry them, have three kids, probably a dog named Fido and another one named, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, Spike, whatever. Like, and they're like, what the hell? Like, you don't even know my favorite color. What are you doing? You know, so, so <laughs> that, so like, you may have a vision for how your life wants to end up but you can't just fit someone into that. You have to build a relationship through those processes towards that. And so that's on that end. And the other end of it, the first step for the person who has no vision, I would, I would, uh, I would definitely uh, challenge that because why are they then in your office if they have no vision? Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'll give you a quick story about this as well, that um, this happened about three or four years ago. I had a patient that I've never met before uh, show up as an initial appointment in my in my schedule. I went down, <clears throat> met the lady, shook her hand. My office is like kind of like in one of the clinics is, is kind of like in a mezzanine upstairs. So we had to go upstairs and we sat down within like two minutes of the conversation. She reveals that uh, she wants to kill herself. And I said, okay, you know, obviously uh, acknowledging her point and and of course, the initial thought in my head was, I have to make sure she's safe. And, you know, the, the going down the uh, primary health challenges we have to assess and all that. But I literally said to myself, stop, connect, connect to her for a second and, and, and ask her some questions. So that's what I said. I said, do you mind if I ask you a few questions that will sound probably crazy or weird to you right now, but I promise you, I'm trying to ask you these questions with all the love I have. And she looked at me and even in that, you know, threw her off. And she's like, okay. And I said, great. Who booked this appointment? She said, I did. How long ago did you book this appointment? She said, about three weeks ago. Who drove you here? She said, I did. And this is where it started getting really weird. Who walked out of your car into the office? She looked at me strangely. I said, just answer the question. 
And she said, I did. I said, who waited for me? Because I was about 15 minutes late. She said, I did. Who walked up the stairs? I, and I went on. I dragged it out. And I said, who's sitting here answering all of these questions right now? She said, I am. And I said, great. So are you telling me you did all of this starting three weeks ago just to tell a complete stranger you want to kill yourself or that there's a percentage of you that knows there's more to your life and to who you are and that's why you did all that? We can focus on the 99% that wants to kill yourself or the 1% that knows there's more to this life, to this story, and that's why you decided to go through all you did to be here and tell me that today. So that's the difference. My, uh, my tingles don't translate on podcast, but that was good. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? And I'll be honest with the practitioners out there. I was scared going through that line of questioning. Oh, but yeah. I kept telling myself, connect to the person, right? You know, there's the saying, uh, uh, you know, connect before you correct. I can't be... I have to acknowledge her. And that was my form of acknowledgement of what she's done. But I can't be a cheerleader. I can't be like, you can do better. There is more to life. You know, it's like, again, excuse me, but like, fuck that. Not right mm-hmm. now, right? Not right now. Yeah. So so my version of, of, of connecting was acknowledging. And, and, and luckily, she's here to this day. So Awesome, man. I love yeah. hearing stories like that. That's so good. Um, it, it almost explains the question I had lined up for you was, you know, if people don't know it, if they can't tell, uh, Yash is just like uh, such a wonderful, nice guy. Um, but this is sort of like archetypically male uh, interviewing where you're kind of challenging. You're kind of saying like, in a way, sort of, all right, what are we going to do? So I want to like, my phrase I wrote down is, how do you be so nice while challenging people in a sort of like um, gentle, but still sort of very challenging way. <laughs> well, I, first of all, thank you. Um, the, one, of the, one of the more fun compliments I've received from someone was like, you're like Deepak Chopra meets Tony Robbins. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and, and I, I, I really enjoyed that um, <laughs> because, because I am all about loving and connecting and supporting and i'm all about pull up your socks and let's do this already and mm-hmm. i had to do that with myself i try to do that with my family members i try to do that with my own son who's just over three years old i will love the crap out of him i will love the crap out of the people uh that 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 are deciding to enter into my world but we can't sit back and coddle we can't sit back and say, there, there, teddy bear. You deserve to, to continue down this trajectory. But what I can say is that you deserve to feel the pain you do, right? I'm not trying to take pain away from you. I'm trying to ask you to step into understanding it differently, making meaning out of the pain, right? As we said, the other side of suffering is where growth happens. But we have to acknowledge the suffering. So I'm simply saying that I will hold that space for you. And I'm also saying that I can't do the work for you. So there needs to be a rapport and understanding and a connection between you and I to do that work. Um, And most people, I would say 99.9% of the people want that. Because let me ask you guys, how many people do you know in your own life that have that space, right? Where you're going to be challenged, but you're going to be supported. You're going to be deeply cared for, but you're going to have to do the work yourself. 
right? That in itself is usually some like relationship currency, right? There you go. Right. And so that's, that's uh, what I've learned. And again, I've said this before, uh, you know, early in my years as a, as a doctor, I always uh, worked really hard to know the answer to everything. Now I work really hard to connect to the person in front of me because I believe they're going to find the answer if I do that. So it's a shift in my mind. For the people listening too. So being as a relationship with a naturopath um, is very beneficial, if not the most important sort of starting point. What's the expectations for the person who's starting uh, their journey into naturopathic medicine? If they go and um, they're trying to sort of budget time resources and all that, what should they expect in terms of like, how long do I have to, connect with this person to see some good results, sustainable results, meaningful results. Yeah, that, that, that question is a, it's a great one. And it obviously varies tremendously from, from person to person and what they're working through. But often I, I try to give a, a initial framework of six months uh, minimum to, to, to my patients. Um, and that would be anywhere from six to 12 visits. Yeah. And that's that's kind of my my take on it. Um, and what I also do is like after I, I, I do what I did in the first session and I tell them, you know, sorry, I work through the questions and they tell me, uh, you know, why they're putting energy, time, resources towards this and so on and so forth. Um, then we move into kind of, like, again, the bowel movement, sleep, diet, all of that. And we'll run maybe certain functional assessments or tests or blood work. Um, and and then we get back to the primary work. So what I mean by that is we get back to the mindset pieces, the psychological pieces, as we build in the nutritional or supplementational plan, because really that's not going to change much, you know, at least not for the first little while. So, mm-hmm. so once that's set up, let's get to the deeper work, right? Because if we said this is the most important, then let's circle back to it and keep driving these points in as you continue trading your candy for kale, whatever your candy or kale may be in this situation. But um, the direct answer again would be probably about six six months initial investment of time and about six to twelve sessions. Okay, and so mind shift ninja, <laughs> yeah. what are the ninja tools you use to shift the mind? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know it's not it's not uh, very different from from uh, what we just discussed uh in, mm-hmm. in 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 the in the podcast and that's what i find most interesting and exciting about the work is whether you apply it to athletics whether you apply it to business whether you apply it to health mindset has its pr- its primary and fundamental pieces and again we have to understand who the person is first and then what we really try to do perhaps a little bit differently is then identify if you're a leader and you are going to build uh, trust within your tribe, whatever that tribe may look like, then what are the psychological and neurological underpinnings that drive decision-making or that drive the fight or flight kind of processes or drive the respond and, and, and motivate. And there's some, some, uh, you know, basic ones uh, that we, that we look at that are often overlooked, but the main one that I, that I like to speak on the most is this idea called psychological safety. And psychological safety simply means I can show up as I am without recourse or uh, being ostracized uh, or, or losing uh, some form of 
uh, stability within my tribe. So, so in the workplace, this is really important because this is where we're sharing ideas, we're sharing we're hopes, we're sharing uh, kind of uh, even criticisms of what's happening in one another. And if we learn how to do that in a framework that allows the, the people uh, who are going through it to feel heard and respected and seen, then, uh, well, again, the research suggests that it moves the needle uh, much more towards uh, sustainable outcomes. We don't have to be friends. We don't have to like the same type of food or music. We don't even have to hang out together outside of the boardroom or, or, the, or, the, or the business space we're in. But we have to respect one another. And so we have to honor uh, pieces of, of, of status. Do I, do I allow you to, to be on the same playing field as myself? Uh, am I allowing you to feel some sort of certainty Again, that you're safe within the space, that you're not gonna, that you're not going to be voted off the island, so to speak. Do I give you uh, space and time for autonomy? Do you do you get to be who you are and how you want to be? Um, are we treating you as if we're all on the same team, or do we have silos or cliques that we build? Uh, and then finally, you know, uh, is there fairness? Are we treating? Are we treating? Each and each and every one of us, the same way we would treat the boss, or or like one of our top performers. So those are five of of many um, kind of neurological underpinnings that we're constantly evaluating the environment around us. Uh, so we 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 pull those into a training. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and and I those those concepts would apply to a business group or a family unit or a church group or a online Facebook group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and, and I, I think that's a, a point very well made. Um, the reason why we say uh, leaders in business and in life is because it's, we do work with business leaders a lot and, uh, and a majority of us spend a majority of our day in at work. But there's sure. also, to your point, there's also leaders in community. There's leaders in church, there's leaders in, in outreach programs, uh, and there's leaders in high schools, you know, the students themselves. So we work with people who are willing to honor these principles of how the mind and body work so that we can have a more of a positive impact and fulfilled individuals. Yash, I was looking at your uh, TEDx talk, which was really awesome, and I really encourage everyone to go check it out on their own time after this. But one thing I wanted to talk about, there's tons we could pull from that because it's chalk block full of good stuff. But like a lot of people suffer, suffer with pain. So I just wanted to see if you could give us a little bit of uh, insight about pain as a teacher. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I think for myself and I, I know for a lot of my patients and people I work with, they could relate to this too. So I'm, I'm going to assume uh, everyone listening to this can as well. Pain, pain could be a, a, a slippery little fish. You know, it could, it could, it could trick you into believing this is the only way you can feel. Um, and so, the the deep deepest work that I had to do and I continue to do is really sit with pain in a way that it's trying to teach me or help me uh, realize something about myself that I've yet to realize. It's asking me. To push, and again, I love working out. I played a lot of sports growing up, so I ask myself the same question: like, when I have a spotter in the gym, and I don't want to do two more reps, 
and that person is like, yes, you can, I'm right here, and I get it done, right? Like that's still, there's still pain in that, uh, but I've, I've grown and I've learned. And so I really had to start reframing. How can I, how can I accept this pain, not as a failure, not as a weakness, but as an opportunity for growth? And really what this ties into is essentially self-compassion. It, again, meaning extending compassion to myself in moments where I feel like I'm inadequate or I failed or I'm just, again, in pain or I'm suffering. And, and really being there, again, not in the there, there teddy bear, but in the, yeah, my friend, that, that's hard. Um, the way you would attend to, to another person you care deeply about. And it's a languaging and it's a psychology that is available to all of us. But we cannot get there again if we don't, we don't spend the time uh, analyzing our pain in that way. There's a lot to learn from pain. Um, it's just the way we try to learn it needs to be in line with uh, how our brain develops. It, it's um, you. You mentioned questions you ask your patients, and I'm 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 visualizing that you you know to understand. I don't know. Is that is there a technique of asking yourself questions as well? Yeah, absolutely. In in the um, <clears throat> you know, so on a high level, uh, whenever I'm working with anyone, whether again as a clinician or as a coach, my number one job is to help them learn how to ask better questions of themselves, right? Like once they identify who they are, then they can ask better questions of themselves. So that process never really ends, but self-coaching is a real thing. And it's a and I was, I was relating that to, to pain in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, uh, you know, don't want to uh, steal the, the thunder, if you will, from the Ted uh, talk, if anyone is willing to go see it, but the, the situation I did, Thank you. Thank you. The situation yeah. that I describe is a, a, a very painful one, right? It was, it was one that I was, I was uh, harming myself. And so the, the question, the, the only things that got me, the only thing I should say that got me out of that situation was not uh, telling myself, uh, you can do it and get through this. Cause if I thought that, then why was I there in that empty parking lot that night? What, what helped me is asking myself better questions. Uh, and again, one specific one that started the whole kind of process of asking better questions was how would I approach a loved one in this situation? You know, mm -hmm. like how would I approach? Yeah. It's simply like if my, like, again, my sister, my wife, my child, a patient, a friend, like I would actually do the, op I would like jump in front of a bullet or I would like, you know, tackle somebody who was like um, harassing or hurting my wife or child, right? So mm -hmm. why the hell am I doing that to myself? Um, and and there are many reasons I can answer that question, but really what it boils down to is because I'm patterned. I'm not broken. I'm patterned. I'm not stuck. I'm in a state, right? So so asking that question was, was, was the start of uh, the many questions that I've asked myself that night and I continue to do to help me through these, these painful emotions and make them more useful and purposeful and meaningful for, for, for my life. And sometimes the questions are more important than the answers. Honestly, I would say 99% uh, of the time they are. Yeah. Questions are insanely powerful. They're so, you know, the way you ask the question really matters uh, and then the rapport and the respect and, and the connection mm -hmm. But again, if we're asking ourselves these questions, then we have to have a rapport and understanding, a connection, a respect for ourselves. 
right? And again, it goes back to psychological safety. Yes, we know that to be true in environments with other people, but it's absolutely crucial for the internal environment as well. If you're not going to sit in, 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 in peace or in comfort, or at least work towards the elements that bring peace and comfort for yourself, then, then how are you ever to expect yourself to concretely and sustainably work through the emotional pain? It's, it's just, I, you know, in my understanding, both personally and professionally, it's just not possible. Right. Okay, Dr. K. From Dr. Kara, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, what this is putting you in the hot seat a little bit. If there was one takeaway for our listeners, what comes to your mind? Um, yeah, I think we just we, we just were talking about it right now. I'm going to repeat it, and that is, the brain and the body are designed to work together. They're the same thing. What happens to one happens to the other, and the best news is that we all. I mean, all of us have influence over the design. So again, you're not stuck, you're in a state, you're not broken, you're patterned. And therefore, by putting consistent effort to even a small area of your life, you can start building momentum and taking charge and ownership of this mind-body connection to be the version of you that I absolutely know, even though I haven't met you, I absolutely know you can be because our our history is littered with incredible examples of people who have who had quote unquote no business being the version of themselves that they are today it's no different this is pure neurochemistry this is pure physiology so um if you're willing and and, and caring to do the work there are people who want to support you to get you there um this is not who you are uh this is just part of your journey going towards who you can be. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm not going to dilute the show with too many words because I think that's such a great, emphatic uh, throwdown at the end there. So um, just a really short, brief thank you, thank you, thank you, Doc. I really appreciate it. And I, um, I can say that for sure this world's a better place with you on it. So thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you both for your time and your efforts to getting this information out to the people who need it most. Thank you. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.